So I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight. It, I love to hear everyone getting to know each other, but we're going to change up a little bit and actually do some of the other stuff that we, at least we advertised we were going to come here for. My name is Todd. Uh, I'm one of the elders here at Gulf Coast Community Church. I was thankful to be ordained today. That was a good time. Oh, along with this guy right here, Dave Wilson. And we're going to be looking at at least first week introduction to some topics in biblical interpretation, textual interpretation. I'll give a a brief blurb about myself here in a minute, but let's go ahead and start uh, with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for the way you're blessing us continuously by sending your Holy Spirit to make yourself known to us, giving us your word that points to you. Lord, you've been superintending the circumstances of the universe since you created it. And um, we know that you're sovereign. And so as we look At your word, we know that its writing was sovereignly conducted. And that even as we're reading, we know that that's sovereignly conducted. So, Lord, we want to obey you and do that as well as we can. And leave ourselves open to to grow in that area, to be nurtured. Lord, I pray that tonight your people would be equipped and ministered to, Lord, that we would build bonds of affection in Christ with one another through fellowshipping around your word, the shared experience of growing in Christ together. Lord, and that you be magnified most of all. So we give you thanks this evening. We pray you bless the time, bless our thinking. Lord, I pray you guide my speech, that it would be clear and edifying for all those who hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So the brief blurb about me is, my name is Todd, and I am a nerd. I worked for a long time at the university level. I won't tell you which one, Adam. It might make you upset, but it's not that one. And, um, and I, I taught several courses in ancient languages, in particular Latin and Greek, and lots of courses in translation and textual interpretation, and I'm working on my Ph.D., and Attic orators and the interpretation of ancient courtroom speeches and all that nerdy stuff that once I start talking about it, people's eyes sort of roll back into their heads and they fall asleep or something like that. And so I try not to get much further into that. All that to say, this is sort of in my wheelhouse, that textual interpretation is something that we all do. We all do. Every time we read something, we all do it. And I've spent time studying how it is that people go about doing that. Because as we'll find out, or I pray we'll find out, is that when we do it, we do it in a certain way, whether or not we're conscious of the ways we do that. We see things, we, we read text, we hear messages, we hear human communication, and our brains do something with that information to arrive at meaning whether or not we're fully cognizant, conscious, whether we're thinking clearly about it or not, it's doing things. Our minds are doing things based on our experiences, um, based on our assumptions. We all come to text. In fact, we come to, shall we say, written differently from how we would come to spoken. So when we read something, we think about it differently, innately, intuitively. We think about that differently from the way we would a book as we read it. So why do this? Why do the thing we're doing tonight? Well, the Bible is one of God's central means of communicating himself to us. His special revelation is in the Bible. It's it's one of those means, and it's the means we have here with us now of special revelation. And so why take another look to think diligently about what is it saying? How do we approach it? Well, because it's the central means he's communicating to us. Also because the Bible is a text. Newsflash, it's words. (laughs) But a lot of times we don't think about the implications of that. 
that it's written words handed down to us that we have to read or at least have read to us, something of that nature. It's a text, which means it's going to conform to certain styles of what people do with text, what humans do with written words. It's going to follow those standards, those expectations. And even the authors would expect you as a reader to view it that way. But not only that, the Bible is a series of texts written by different human authors across time. It's not that we have this grand scroll of just one story written by one person who sat down and just put it all out there once and for all. But it's different authors at different places and different times with different cultures and backgrounds and personal experiences and different expectations of readers and even different expectations of what it meant to write down a text given his or her culture. So it's important for us as we approach a document with this sort of significance, with this sort of different genesis, shall we say, a creation a construction that's unlike most texts we read where one person sat down and wrote a book and maybe someone edited it and then it gets published. Something of such a diverse nature that we have to refine our thinking constantly. We have to constantly come back and say, what am I doing with this book and am I handling it correctly? How are we going to do this? Well, too much to cover in three one-hour sessions. Not possible to talk all about, and the, the fancy word for this is hermeneutics. Hermeneutics, the philosophy and methodology of approaching, interpreting texts is known as hermeneutics. So there are entire courses, people spend entire lives and careers debating, writing on, teaching hermeneutics at not only... Christian Bible colleges or religious colleges, but also English departments. Every major university English department is going to have classes on how does a person approach a text? What does one do with a written text? Where does meaning come from? How does one make meaning out of something written? So my intention is to introduce concepts of interpretation. Not going to be, we're not going to be able to plumb the depths in three hours. I hope, we, I hope we at least get that much. I'm not trying to wet blanket it before I even start, but there's only so much we can cover, but I want to at least get us digging in and thinking about some of the things that a person must grapple with. We're going to discuss texts. Not all of them are going to be from the Bible. As you look at your handout, in fact, the first one is not a biblical text. But just to get us thinking about making meaning from a text or making meaning from communication and what happens in that process. I also am going to have, as you see there, plenty of biblical texts where we're going to discuss them, going to put them forward as introductions to different issues about how to interpret the Bible, about considerations we must make. But just as importantly, I want to hear from you. This is uh, very intentionally labeled this a workshop because I expect it to be interactive. I want, and, and I asked for tables for a reason, because I want you to talk to each other as we go through this. I want you, hey, you might even find out that you like someone sitting next to you. Don't, I don't want to get my expectations too high, but it's possible. It could happen. But I want to hear from you. I want to hear your answers to these different questions to help guide our thinking or at least give us different ways that people approach text because I might not be thinking of one that you've experienced. I might not be thinking of one that, that you use. Or you just saying it out loud might cause you to think, oh, wow, I, I didn't realize I thought about the Bible this way. So it's important to hear from you because when a person reads the Bible, he or she does a lot of work each time, does a lot of work, perhaps without even realizing it. And so part of the instructional process is reflecting on what processes, what processes are taking place internally and externalizing them. We'll discuss that a little bit later. I don't think I've arrived. I don't think I hold 
all of the answers for how one, what is the one right answer. Anyone who tells you that, you probably don't want to listen to that person. If that person says, I know exactly how to interpret all passages in the Bible, and if you just buy my book for 1995, you probably don't want to be uh, learning from that person. So I don't claim to have arrived, but together as a church, in community with the church throughout time, in community with each other, reflecting on how others have handled the word and looking beyond perhaps their blind spots and our own blind spots and personal blind spots as a community, we approach the word and pray for the Holy Spirit to guide us together. So I don't think I've arrived. I look forward to hearing from you, and that's how... I trust that our time will go. Now, as far as my goals, they're to equip you to understand the Bible better. Straightforward. At least some of the issues that come up with interpreting it. But I pray that you'll be able to walk away with a few things to say, Ha, I need to approach such and such text a little bit differently next time. Or next time I'll remember to put this step consciously into my reading before I begin. Help you understand another One of my goals is to help you understand thought processes that the elders here use when approaching the Bible. Now, I can't speak for all of them, especially not David Wilson, but but, um, I know that Jerry and Darren and I have had many conversations about interpretive issues and how to approach the text of the Bible, and generally, I trust that I'll be largely representative of the elder team, but with that said... As I've stated before, it's a very, it, there are many idiosyncratic to the, to the person, things that are unique to a person, many approaches that are slightly nuanced that are distinct to an individual. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't claim to speak for all the elder team, but I think generally I'm going to have what, what most of them would agree with. And then last, but not least, of course, help you to identify how you... Each one of you help you to reflect and think about what ways have you been interpreting the Bible? What have you been bringing to it? What sort of assumptions, what sort of methodologies have you been bringing to it in order to provide some refinement, perhaps, to that method? Are there there some loose areas where where you've read and you're like, I just don't know what to do with a passage like that? Or I don't know how to handle it. What are, some, what are some boundaries, perhaps, at least to help me know that I'm in a safe ground here, that I'm not about to veer off into error? How do I recognize when I'm being spoken to by someone who's doing something very strange and I'm not sure what's wrong with it, but I know something. I can't quite put my finger on it, but something's not quite right. To help safeguard yourself. So those are my goals. Okay. Let's start off then. Tonight, I want us to talk about background to meaning and problems with making meaning in the Bible. So you'll see, I have a, first, I have a passage there on your handout, and I'd like first for us to think about why are there so many different interpretations? I think most of us can agree, if we've had Christian experience longer than two weeks, we probably noticed that people don't interpret the Bible the same way, that there's a multitude of explanations, even of what we would consider very important concepts or passages in the Bible. Not every Christian looks at those the same way. Why? Why is that? So I want us to take a look first at this passage. I want to give you about, I don't know, I want to give you about four minutes or so I'll keep time on my watch. About four minutes or so, I want you to read through that passage and then answer the first question. Now, just for background, Periander is a tyrant, the newly ruling tyrant, and that word has a lot of negative connotations in our day, and it largely did in antiquity too. But it basically means someone who assumes power illegitimately. Now, that doesn't mean that that person has to remain a bad guy, but sometimes there will be a succession of tyrants in antiquity who rule, and they're well-loved. Here is a passage, a well-known passage among scholars of interpretation and philosophers from antiquity 
from Herodotus that's repeated by Aristotle. So go ahead and read that for a moment if you can. And I'd like you to think about primarily the question there is, why is it that Periander understands Thrasybulus's message, but the messenger doesn't seem to know what's happening? Why, if you had to put some finger on some issues, take a couple minutes, read that, and jot down a few ideas. Okay, here's what I want you to do next. I'm going to give you about another two minutes or so. Turn the people at your table. Introduce yourself if you don't know one another. Share what was one of the findings that you found. Each person take, take a minute. So I guess I'll give you more like two or three minutes than one since it'll take longer than that. So I'll give you a few more minutes. Talk to each other. What did you see? Why do you think? Remember, interpretation, yes, it's an individual thing, but it's also a community thing when it comes to the Bible. We're talking about community understanding. So talking to each other about the way we approach text is an important, imagine teaching. It takes, it takes being able to talk about a text intelligently in order to teach. So it's an important thing when we're talking to each other, when we're communicating about the Bible, we're talking about our interpretations when it comes down to it. So take a couple minutes. Each person share a main thought that you had from this. Go. Okay. All right. Let's hear. I'm I'm liking a lot of what I'm hearing. It sounds good. I like to. At least I just like to hear you guys talking to each other. That's good too. That's a nice start. Um, let's hear. Let's start in the back back table. One thing you thought. Anyone from back table? Okay, so the messenger expected verbal communication, and what he got was, shall we say, dramatic communication or figurative communication. Good, yeah. Uh, right in the center here. So we were thinking about from the individual's perspective. So the, you know, the messenger, again, he's looking for like a specific you know, word answer, whereas these leaders are um, used to dealing with things and systems and examples, and so the example spoke to their language. Okay, so operating on different levels of communication. Good. Back right here. <laughs> That's what we call voluntold. I was in the army for a long time, and that's what that was called. You just got voluntold. dramatic answer that Periander got may have matched his preconceived idea of the answer that he wanted. So, if he's already a tyrant, he's asking, you know, how can I safely govern these people? Well, probably already in the back of his mind, he's thinking, I need to get rid of the other most powerful people. And so that dramatic communication agreed with his Good. So Periander, as a ruler, has a certain perspective on events and knows to funnel out a certain set of answers and is looking for a certain set of answers, most likely, too. That's good. All right. Over here. <laughs> I think we kind of covered that one already a little in that there was a, a metaphor as opposed to the, the messenger seems focused on the literal destruction of the crops. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the thing. I, I thought what you said, Dave, though, was helpful too about the uh, context also for 
Yeah, we're just talking about there's always there's what's said and then there's how it's said. And we're, we're talking about kind of nonverbal communication sometimes. If, if someone said to you, how was the party? You go, oh yeah, it was great. And you kind of roll your eyes. Well, you know to kind of probably pay attention to what you saw more than what you heard. So there's always communication happening at multiple levels anytime there's... Right, so there's more than one layer to the way that humans communicate meaning to each other. It's not always one way. Yeah, Mark? I think that, that a tyrant interpreted it as taking their lives, but it could have just as easily been interpreted as taking their wealth and their possessions and their status. But in his mind, it was killing. Okay, good. All right, front table. You guys said that you know they're a messenger and they were very different class, so they may have to be different because of different class. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, once again, a perspective. So here, here are the three things that I, I wanted us to draw. And I think we hit, we hit at least two of the three and maybe three, the third one on the side. The first one is expectation. You all seem to get that, that there were a different set of expectations in the way that the messenger was uh, looking to be communicated to, whereas Periander as a tyrant knowing all of the difficulties that go along with leading a people, is more open to how he's communicated with, is not, is not locked in in a certain way. So this, let's just say this guy of no account, whose name isn't even recorded in history, he's used to just missives, letters back and forth, you know, sealed up scroll, and he goes and keeps asking, expecting to get handed something, and seems to get ignored. He's like, well, the guy just blew me off. I don't know what you want me to tell you. And, uh, but Periander knows better that you can't trust messengers sometimes. You can't trust that they won't get waylaid. You can't trust that they're not spies. And so he understands it perfectly that Thrasybulus is telling him exactly what he needs to do without letting that communication fall into the hands of someone else who, uh, who might be able to use it against him. So there are different expectations. Yes, there are different perspectives. There are different perspectives. These men are of different roles. They have different experiences in life. They come with different amounts of knowledge. So they're going to they're gonna speak differently, think differently. And then the last one, which I think we came close to touching on that I wanted to draw out, is investment. They have different levels of need for this information. The messenger, does it, really, does it really affect his station in life necessarily if, if it's Periander or the next tyrant or whatever? He's Joe Schmo on the street, and yeah, it might. We could analyze this to death. But basically, Periander has a lot more to lose than the messenger, perhaps, based on this information. The investment causes people to read messages differently. So what I wanted to ask you is, as far as expectation goes, how do you expect to read texts in the Bible? You have expectations. Expectations about genre. Since the Bible is a different set of books written over time, there are different genres or styles which come within them different categories of what will be there. For example, when one reads Romans, uh, should he read it like Psalms? No. Oh, good. I like that answer. <laughs> no is a good answer. Not entirely, at least. One must understand that there are, they are different styles of literature entirely, from different times and different cultures. And so there are what are called generic or genre-based expectations that are built up. The same way you do, you know the difference between a country song and rap music. You know what should show up in country songs, dogs and trucks and losing someone you love or something like that, and you know what should show up in rap music, or we should say what shouldn't show up in rap music, but does, <laughs> and that those, those worlds rarely collide, and when they do, it's usually for humorous effect because you know those don't go together. So there are genre expectations. There are also temporal, cultural, and linguistic <coughs> distance. 
I'm not a 9th century B.C. late Iron Age Hebrew in Canaan. So I'm going to read text a little bit differently from perhaps they would have. That makes sense, right? When it comes to perspective, how much of the Bible have you actually read? And that's, a, that's, that's just a tough question. We all have to deal with how much is enough. Is there such a thing? Without getting caught in this trap of legalistic reading. But you need to know it in order to know it. The best cure to understanding the Bible is reading the Bible. Knowing it better. Having enough perspective on what it says. To see where it interprets itself. How often do you read? Memories fade. It's just a reality. We're humans. So how often do you read it? Is reading it? You know, I read that Bible thing once when I was 22. It was a good read. Is that going to do it? And I think we all know that that's not going to do it. How often? And for what purposes? There are different purposes, levels of reading. So a person does a devotional five-minute reading and gets about, I don't know, half a chapter or something like that and just reflects on what it says. Or what about the person who's preparing to teach a class? Or the person who's preparing to teach a sermon, teach a sermon, preach a sermon every week? There are different levels of reading and reasons for reading. What are the purposes you read? Have you thought about reading on multiple levels of purpose regularly? That's perspective. Investment. Does it matter to you? When you read it, Do you change because of it? There are plenty of people in this world who read the Bible to be scholars of the Bible with no interest in it changing their behavior. Plenty of people like that. They look at it like it's a great humanistic work of ancient cultures. But it isn't that it is the Word of God that speaks to me that binds my conscience and obligates me and shows me his affection and grows affections in me in return. So where's your investment? Are you invested in it? That will affect the way you read the Bible and what sort of meanings you make of it. So those are three key areas. I wanted us to read that non-biblical passage to get an idea of how communication works and how those different facets of communication can affect the way we understand or misunderstand what a text has to say. We all bring expectations based on our experiences to the things we read, the things we hear, the shows we watch, the music we listen to. It's a very complex, interconnected web, and God designed it to be that way, to transmit a lot of information in a very short amount of time. We retain a lot of things, even things we're not conscious of that affect the way we interpret I want you to answer question number two, give you a few minutes, list some of those background events of your life and your heritage that affect the way you read the Bible. Here are some examples that I want to give you to think about. There can be more than this, but here are some examples. How long have you been a Christian? Where did you grow up? What has been your denominational affiliation? That'll affect the way you read the Bible. How much formal education have you received? What countries have you lived in for long term? In what language or languages do you read the Bible? That'll affect what you get out of it. Okay? So take a few minutes and think through some of those questions. Who am I? Where do I come from? What do I bring to the table when I open up the Bible? Once you get done writing, look at that list of things that you think influence who you are when it comes to you reading the Bible and circle the one you think is most influential. Which one of those things do you think most impacts you when it comes to the way you approach the Bible? All right. After you've done that, turn to the members of your table. As long as it's not something that you're going to say, wow, I really shouldn't have said that to a total stranger. Um, Share with each other what you think are the most influential aspects of who you are, what you've done, where you come from that you bring to the way you read the Bible.
Okay, I'm hearing lots of good conversation. I'm really thrilled the way you all are taking to this approach. Let's hear, anyone have, I'll take it just to show of hands, anyone want to share something that came out that maybe even was unexpected, that as you thought about it, you thought, huh, this probably is one of the things that most governs my reading. Yeah, Doug? Um, one thing that I realized just was I was raised in church, and so kind of had the whole expectation of you read because you're supposed to. So like my parents had like the Bible that broke down the Bible in the whole entire year. You know, you read it every night of chunk. So we did that multiple times, but like I would find myself figuring out a way to like sleep without them knowing I was not paying attention. <laughs> Just because it was so, it became so repetitious and we were doing it because we were supposed to. So, um, that's probably the thing that have, that influenced me the most, and as I'm an adult now, changing the way I'm in, like with the investment to read it because I need it to change my life, and I need to know what is in there, not because I have to. Good, awesome, thanks. Anyone else? Yeah, Randy. Um, mine is because it's a little different, I guess. But I, for me, uh, around the age of 27, I was just at a point in my life where I'd grown up in a Christian home, but never was really invested. I kind of got my distance mm-hmm. from it. I, never really um, pursued it really, but uh, at a later point in my life where I was at a crossroads of really wanting answers and just saying there's got to be a better way, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I came back to reading the Bible with that in mind, mm-hmm. seeking answers, and I read through um, just totally on my own that there wasn't any other believers in my life or anything like that, you know, talking or anything, just on my own at, at home. I read through the New Testament once, twice, third time through, I was somewhere in the Gospel of Matthew one morning, and I just said, this is it. This is exactly what I'm looking for. Awesome. It gives me chills now because I had never really heard, like, any formulae, prayer, or anything like that, and just it, it just to articulate that. So just the investment side for me has always been there. Right. It's, That's great. Perfect, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, the word is powerful. That's great. Any other? Anyone else? Take one more. Anyone? Yeah, Josh. Sometimes when you read, you are thinking in terms of our society today, and you have to think about the context of, you know, what the times were like then, and completely changes the meaning. Right, yeah, absolutely. That's good. Excellent. Here's what I want us to think about, take away from that particular exercise, is that until an interpreter makes his assumptions and biases, the things that you bring to the table, the history, the background, the techniques, all of those things, until an interpreter makes his or her assumptions and biases part of conscious thought, until that person has a realization, that interpreter is susceptible to false assumptions and bad biases without even knowing it. And there's plenty of that. There's plenty of that going around. So here's what I want us to think about, is prior allegiances. What are some prior allegiances that you bring to the Bible? So I'm looking at question three. Just real quick, think about some, this line in the sand I cannot cross. When I read something in the Bible, I can't go, I can't go this far. If I feel like it's taking me this direction, what is it that, what rule you can't break? For some people, for example, naturalists, I can't believe in miracles. Sorry, I just, I don't care what the Bible says about miracles. Good book, I'll even call Jesus the Son of God, but all that other stuff is embellished garbage. I just can't believe in miracles. So, I have a prior allegiance to something that I bring to the Bible. What think of think of one or two. What are your I can't cross this line. What are some some rule that you carry to the Bible that you just can't break? When you read it, you know I cannot break this. Okay? Think about that for a second and see if you can come up with something. I know that when I think about my own 
my own expectations and my own background and events in my life that I bring to when I read the Bible. I think about some of the ones that affect me most are um, the fact that I've never physically seen Jesus risen from the dead. I just think I would probably read the Bible differently if I actually saw him. Now, maybe that's not true, Maybe that, but sometimes I think that that's true. That I've studied a lot of ancient Greek language and history and culture. That affects the way I read the Bible. And that I spent years as a Messianic Jew. That affects the way I read the Bible. Those are huge things that affect the way I read the Bible. And the last one is when one of my, just so, just so we're all on the same level, I don't want you to think that I'm just up here, you know, you tell me you and you don't hear from me. When it comes to some of my prior allegiances, one of my main ones is that it can't contradict. I just don't care. I'm not buying an interpretation of the Bible that says this part of it says something opposite of this part. There's got to be a way to harmonize it. Because that's based on another prior allegiance, that the ultimate author is God, that is divinely inspired. I have those prior allegiances. I know that when I come to the Bible. Not everyone holds those. But I'm at least aware, I'll admit it, when someone looks at me and says, well, look at this, this clearly says this, and this clearly says something else, and I say, no, it doesn't. Let me tell you why. Blam, 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 blam. And then they look at me and say, well, you just came up with, I mean, you just contort anything to come. No, I have a prior. You probably have a prior allegiance that says people never rise from the dead. Now, have you met everyone who's ever died? Have you seen them all? I mean, I can do the, I can do the logical, uh, let's see if your data set is full or if you're just using inductive logic which means you haven't seen everyone who's dead, therefore you can't tell me that someone hasn't risen from the dead. I can do that game with somebody. But I have a, I have a, I have a prior commitment to it being God's word and therefore true. Uh, what are some of your prior commitments? Uh, show of hands, anyone wants to share prior commitment, a line you won't cross? Yeah, Mark? I won't cross the line that um, the creator of the universe wants to live So that has to be true it when you read the Bible. So that's your commitment. Okay, good. All right, others? It's good to think about what am, I, what am I committing to before I come to this book, to this text. There are things that I assume are unbreakable. And if, and if someone tries to convince me that it's breakable, I'm going to say, I just disagree. We do that. We do that whether we're conscious of it or not. There are some things that we'll just recoil out and say, that's, there's no way that that's right. I won't accept that interpretation. Yeah. <laughs> Right. That's very common. It's very common. Mm-hmm. And not altogether bad. Not altogether bad. Other ones? Anyone else? Yeah, Dave? I think for me, just the, uh, a continuationalist or a charismatic perspective about God's Word. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, as I evaluate myself, I mean, it is a prior allegiance, and it kind of goes back to background events in my life, that, I mean, I was uh, discipled and raised yeah. up and, and brought into the faith by people that had that perspective. So um, I don't think that that doesn't diminish that, but I do need to be aware of it. And I yeah. need to keep in mind that that's a, an allegiance. Right. Yeah, you and I share that allegiance. I had too many, have had too many experiences in my life to, to be able to not have a... To, continuationist is different from cessationist, just to get theological speak out there. 
does the Holy Spirit still operate, manifestation of gifts? Is the Holy Spirit still active in giving gifts and doing things? Or did that end with the apostolic era? That's what Dave's talking about, is the difference between those two views. And it's very common. Uh, in fact, one of the largest Protestant groups in the world is cessationist. The largest number of Protestants in the world is cessationist, which means they believe the Holy Spirit doesn't do the things we see in the book of Acts that's done, that was done with the apostles. And once we have the Bible, that's over. And then continuationist is the view that those things, at least some, if not all, continue through to today. So Dave has a commitment that they continue into today. And so when he reads the Bible, that's something he brings to it. I bring that same thing. I expect that somehow that has some information for me. One of the things about experiences and past history, I think Dave's brought it out nicely, where we've grown up as Christians will, in a large way, funnel what we will accept and what we won't accept. And sometimes it takes taking some input for, from a very different source to hit up against the way we read a particular passage before we're even aware that that other view exists. Like, don't even know that there are people who think that way. And then all of a sudden you hear it and you're like, oh, I don't even know what to do with that. I don't have a box for that. <laughs> Good. Here's what I wanted us to get out of that. Anything that is a prior allegiance will stand in the way of hearing what the Bible may be telling us. Or it may be a proper safeguard for interpreting. It can go both directions. So people tend to assume that all biases are bad. If you're biased, that we use that word negatively. If you're biased, you're wrong by default somehow, that you always have to keep everything open is the way our culture tends to teach it. You have to be ready for anything. Well, one, it's basically impossible, as I hope I've illustrated to some degree or another. You just have to be conscious of what you're bringing forward, and then you stand a chance of stepping outside of yourself. Before you're even aware of what you're bringing to the table, you don't stand much chance of stepping outside of your, your perceptions, your approach. But... One of the professors, Reformed Theological Seminary, says, not all biases are bad, only bad biases are bad. <laughs> and, and, yeah, we all laugh at that because it's so silly that we always think biases are wrong, but really it's only bad ones that are bad. We need to, we need to dump this notion that just because someone has a bias, he or she is wrong. We all have biases. We just need to get the right ones and stick to them. And we'll be all right. And we'll be all right. So take a look at question four. We're going to have to wrap up after this. Question four. So I have these two verses here, two biblical verses on the page, that both have to do with the nature of understanding the Bible, the nature of understanding the Scriptures, and what to do with them. Just take a look through that. What are some key ideas that you think are being expressed? We have two different New Testament authors, both talking about the Scripture and how they're dealt with. What are some key ideas that you think come out of how did they say people handle the Scriptures? So take a couple minutes to look at that. Take about one more minute to finish up your individual responses, and then take an additional couple minutes, briefly share around the table, like five-second pop version, like give it to me in two sentences, that sort of thing. All right, go ahead and transition into table discussion. Each person, give the five-second version. Okay, let's hear, let's hear from each table one thing that came out from each table. This time I'll start in the front since I did front last, I think, last time we did every table. He said, um, you know, sometimes interpreting the Bible, if you don't understand it, sometimes you may give it like a twisted meaning. And I think it's very important not to do that. Like if you don't understand it, be humble and accept the, the fact that you don't understand it. 
go to council or something. Okay, good. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, we, we should, we all know we have limits, at least I hope we do. Each one of us has limits on what we can do, on what we can understand, and there's some different degrees, and, and that comes out, Peter saying, hey, some of the stuff that Paul writes is tough, <laughs> okay? It's tough, and some people don't get it, and so they mess it up really bad. I think we can all attest to that still going on. There are some things that are written in the Bible that are tough, and people who aren't humble enough to say, well, right now this is above me. The Lord has not given this, has not opened up this part to me yet. They can, they can do a lot of damage with that. That's good. That's good. In the middle. So I think we all kind of took that um, you, have to, you have to listen to the text and, and not to people's interpretation. Like, you can't read the quick notes for the Bible because those weren't inspired. <laughs> the cliff notes of the Bible are not inspired. I like that. Directly to the text, if you're going to get the real meaning, and mm-hmm. um, and you just have to trust and just ask God for understanding and Good, good, yeah, and that's even a danger in our study Bibles. Now there are some really great resources. There are some really great study Bibles. There are all kinds of things, even down to the heading the editors put in there. The way they break up chapters can be deceptive. All sorts of things can be a little misleading that takes us to a lot misleading. That doesn't mean we're, it's hopeless at all, but it does mean we just need to be aware of these things. That the, once, once we're more aware of these individual pieces that can, can lead toward misunderstanding then we alleviate the problem just by recognizing them in a lot of respects. That's good. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, over here. Who's up? Uh, just, I thought the cool thing about it is just seeing how you have to be like, perseverant with it. You know, like, like he was saying over there, like the third time he got through it, and then it mm-hmm. went boom. So, and we're like in that whole like instant gratification society of like, I want to read it once and know the meaning of all of it. But not just giving up or, you know, saying, well, I'm just going to wait until it comes up with someone else, you know, but actually finding out. I deal with teenagers all the time. Mr. Bullender, I read that thing. It just makes no sense. Well, did you look up the words? No. Okay. Well, all right. You're probably right. It's not going to make any sense to you. The whole, I, if it's, here's one I find common in our culture is, if it's worth knowing, it should be easy to learn. If it's not easy for me to get early on, it must not be worth learning, or you must be a bad teacher. <laughs> sure, sure. All those are positive. You're absolutely right. Our predisposed nature towards it should come easy. Why doesn't it just come easy? Well, some of the reasons we've talked about, perspective, investment, expectation. Until those things are dealt with, you're going to run into hard times. Back center. Oh, go ahead. Infiltrate every area of our Christian experience. There's mm-hmm. a sense that it's, you know, it's kind of a microwave face, and you know it's going to be easy. I just push a button, and it's like there's so much of our relationship with God is something about persevering and right. continuing to walk day after day, and some long suffering takes a long time. Yeah, I love the. I meditate often, meditate often on Psalm one, and. The tree stays planted, and that's what the tree does. It doesn't moan about why it's not bearing fruit yet. It doesn't sit around and think, if I just focused hard enough, I'd bear more fruit. That's not what trees do. So there's a lot of great imagery in there about faith and perseverance, and trees grow, and that sort of thing. So it's a great image to think about that. They meditate on the word day and night. I'm just make a little comment on what you just said about <laughs> how the tree stays planted. You know, there's two ways. Uh, there's, 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 there's all that. And they both speak to him. Mm-hmm. And later in life for me, um, he's really shown me. It's like, you know, the tree reaches up to the light. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're so, you just look. There's so many things yeah, I really recommend, that's a great word, Mark. I really recommend, oh, wait, I haven't put it back on the website. I really recommend that I put back on the website <laughs> from last summer, Vance Whitaker's talk about general revelation. That's an awesome word, Mark. Thanks. I'll put that on my to-do list. 
And did we have one more table? Did this table get to go? Um, yeah, just a few bullet thoughts uh, that I made where we talked about were just um, according to the wisdom given him, where, uh, it's assumed that it's not Paul's own thoughts. He's talking about the wisdom given him, that it's not Paul's own thoughts. Um, hard to understand, simply saying that it's not always going to be easy. Um, twist to their own destruction the fact that scripture can be misused. Satan in the desert. To say, oh, Jesus quoted scripture well. That's right, that's right. And um, do your best. You know, not everybody has to be a scholar, but everybody's expected to do whatever they can. That's right, good. Um, a worker simply presupposes that it's work, and rightly dividing presupposes that you can wrongly divide. Mm-hmm. Those are all excellent. Good. In as much as we promise to be done with this by 8, I'm going to stop, even though we are not done. You guys have been awesome. Uh, Thank you for your participation. We'll just pick it up in two weeks. Now, remember, not meeting next weekend because of Memorial Day weekend. But we're back in two weeks. Those of you who are brave enough to dare round two, I will love to see every one of you. And we'll talk more about... Then we've talked about some of the introduction to making meaning, the obstacles to understanding. Now, next we'll talk about the standard. How then, what's the standard for biblical interpretation? Where do we go to find out how we should do it? And then what are some examples we can find of doing it well? Well, it's just a warning to say that just because it was the... Uh, it was me springboarding off of the Cliff Notes version of the Bible comment, is that even even other not... Well, I mean, that's basically what study Bibles are in a sense. Is And I love, I, I love the ESV study Bible. Shameless plug, I love the ESV study Bible. I think there are so many useful resources in it, but it's not divinely inspired. So just because uh, I've had this in a... In a community group setting, well, my Bible says in the footnote down here, and I go, yeah, a lot of people think that, and that's fine. You know, it's not, that's not crazy, but we're probably not going to affirm that view here, that sort of thing. You take it, you take it a, a, a verse at a time, so to speak. Take it on a case-by-case basis, I guess is a better way to say it.